This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with Certified Financial Planner, David Chudik, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hello, everybody. We are really stepping up our game here at the Weekly Wealth Podcast, and I'm just so excited to have Tom Corley um, being interviewed today about his uh, Rich Habits book and concepts. Now, I do have to warn you that uh, this is during the COVID crisis, and Zoom is, I think, uh, stretched to the limit. So there's a couple times where the audio got a little bit fuzzy, but this is just such good content that I wanted to get it out there for you, and I hope that you enjoy. Okay, so welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. I'm just super excited to have uh, Tom Corley, who is an author and wrote a book called Rich Habits, and he actually has another book coming out pretty soon that we're going to be talking about. But I read this book a few uh, few years ago, and it just really, really fascinated me because it just reinforced to me that uh, from a financial standpoint, we are, you know, we're we are our habits and our, our habits uh, end up uh, with our results. So, so Tom, uh, great to have you on here. Um, I know life is a little bit hectic for you as close as you are to New York City right now. But um, yeah, tell us just a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came up with these rich habits. Oh, sure. So, so David, by the way, thanks for having me on. Um, so I, I really, um, the story begins, I guess, back in 2004. I, when I took over the helm here at the Surface and Company, my CPA firm, uh, one of the uh, small business clients of mine, I think I was three months into, you know, the you know he- heading up the firm, and they had this absolute urgent need to to meet with me that night. So we met late one night, and the uh, the small business client had uh, it was an auto repair, auto body shop that he had inherited from his father. And it was always a very successful um, body shop, repair shop. Uh, but uh, so they weren't struggling. They weren't struggling for revenue. Not for revenue. Okay. But what, what what happened was he had uh, tapped out his line of credit. <clears throat> it had gone up to almost three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand, and the bank finally said, "Enough. You know, you don't pay it down, and we're shut. We're going to shut it down. We're going to term your loan." So he was coming to me because he said, I need uh, access to capital because I, I'm not going to make payroll this this Friday. And I said, I, I can't get you a line of credit in four days. It's impossible. I, I even, even if I was a bank, I couldn't do that. So anyway, so he, he kind of broke down, started crying. And he was a big guy. And he said, look, you know, what am I doing wrong? What am I? what are your successful clients doing that I'm not doing? And what is it that I'm doing that's, you know, driving me towards bankruptcy, which he kind of felt that's the direction he was going. And so I spent a couple of months looking at his, his business. And really we had a lot of meetings once a week, I would go into his business. I would look at numbers, metrics, how they were doing things and compare it to other clients that were in the same business. I said, you know, you're doing everything right. You're, you know, your costs are in line. There's only thing, is you're paying yourself about $40,000 more than the other, my other clients owners pay themselves in this, in this type of business. Uh, and I said, you know, what, what's driving that, you know, why, why do you have to pull, you know, an extra amount of money, this extra wages? And he says, well, you know, I, I got divorced about 10 years ago and 
he said, to be honest with you, I have this like uh, habit. He was the first one to, to call it a habit. He said, I have this bad habit. I said, what is it? He says, well, Wednesday nights, I, I hire a hooker and I have, uh, I take her out to dinner. We drink wine and, uh, you know, that's a Wednesday, that's my Wednesday night. So that's a $40,000 a year habit, huh? Yeah. And well, it wasn't exactly 40. It was like more like 30, I guess, depending on, I don't want to get into it, but it, so it was about 35,000 a year. And anyway, he, uh, I, I did the math and I said, wow, you know, your line of credit since you got divorced went from zero to about 400,000. And if you do the math, 35,000 times 10 years is almost 400,000. So, uh, so I, I said, your habit is driving you, this one habit is driving you into bankruptcy. And that's when the light bulb went off. And I said, how many other people have bad habits? So I started, I said, look, I got to really understand this. So I started out in the beginning, just asking a few questions. Then it grew to what became my, I call it my 20 question list, but it was really 20 categories. I was trying to cover everything an individual did from the minute that they woke up in the morning to the minute that they went, went to sleep at night. Uh, and I started it with, uh, rich people. We had a lot. We have a lot of wealthy clients, but plus I know a lot of wealthy people because of just the business I'm in. And and uh, so I I ended up interviewing, asking um, 233 wealthy people, people that had uh, 3.2 million or more in liquid investable assets and net investable assets, or and 160,000 in at a minimum of income, annual income. So that was my litmus test for the wealthy. And I interviewed 233 of them. I asked them 144 questions that were broken up into 20 categories. Uh, and then when I was done, it took me about two, a little over two years to, to get all that information. Uh, I started looking at it and I tried to summarize it. And I said, my God, most of these are habits. So I said, well, this is great. Now I know what to do, but what, what is it that you should not be doing? So then I interviewed 128 poor people. That took almost another two years. And I... What was your definition of poor? Uh, you have less than $5,000 in net investable assets, basically money in the bank, and you make less than $35,000 a year. Okay. So <clears throat> that qualified you to be considered poor, at least in New Jersey, New York area where most of my interviews took place, although they were in other states too. But anyway, so I, uh, I summarized the, the poor people's information in these 20 categories and then expanded it out and blew it out. And then I, I created this Rich Habits Research Summary spreadsheet that basically said, uh, you know, these are all the habits. That I, there were about 300, oh, 340 of them that I tracked. On the left, that was in the, you know, the, the habit column. And then, uh, you know, there was a column for rich people, a column for poor people. And then I actually broke out the rich people who were self-made. These are the individuals. See, out of 233 wealthy people, some of them inherited their money. Uh, about 24% inherited their money. So 76% so had been self-made. I thought the self-made comparison of the self-made to the poor people was was more valuable. So I've been kind of focusing on that lately. And um, anyway, it's, it's kind of uh, shine a light on the, you know, the habits that are really critical for making you successful and the habits that are really critical for 
dragging you down into the abyss of poverty. So do you think that your, your client that had the, the $40,000 a year quote habit, that probably, if you go back years and years, there's probably some potential habit with his marriage where he didn't culture, cultivate his marriage, maybe. Um, so, you know, so maybe some not great relationship habits led to a divorce, which led to this other new habit, which led to the credit line, which led to everything else. I mean, do you think they, they kind of snowball on top of each other? I do. And I think that, you know, the, I'm sure that there were some issues with respect to his marriage, you know, that you would make you flinch. Most people flinch because I knew the guy. And, uh, and I guess, you know, when anybody gets divorced, there's some amicable divorces, but I, I'm going to say amicable divorces are represent about 5%. The other 95% of divorces are not amicable. So there's things that just each party is pissed off at for sure. the other person. And, and, and yes, I believe that it's uh, bad habits and that, you know, either spouse has that they unwilling to change and, and grow and become more of a team. Uh, instead, they become like opposing Uh, competitors each other and I mean I know uh, one one individual who got divorced very wealthy got divorced because you know his wife said I don't want to be your health care provider during the last 10 years of your life because you refuse to take care of your health so she divorced him over that she said and and sure enough he's um, he's going uh, he's he's got health issues and he's uh, now has has you know has trouble walking has you know, half of the time he's in the hospital. So she was, she was right. 10 years ago, she was right. This is what was going to be my life. I, you know, you're unwilling to change your habits. I'm unwilling to sit back and watch you destroy your life. And I think that's part of it, you know? So yeah, I think habits, uh, you know, lead to divorce, bad habits lead to divorce. Absolutely. So one of, you know, I'm sure you, you know, James Clear or familiar with his work. He says, we don't rise to the level of, of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. So, you know, everybody my age wants to lose 20 pounds. Well, that's a great goal. But if your system is you go through McDonald's drive through every day, doesn't matter what your goal is, you're not losing that 20 pounds. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, processes are habits. You know, they're just a combination. Most, of, most processes are a combination of, you know, maybe half a dozen habits. So if you're unhealthy uh it's a combination of your poor habits you, you eat too much junk food you don't exercise enough you drink too much on the weekends and uh, maybe you smoke cigarettes maybe you do other things well those are all habits and they're cumulative so uh darren hardy i love he had a, a great book uh compound the, effect role you know the compound effect and that, that was, and the reason that he wanted to interview me for Success Magazine way back when uh, was because he realized that he and I were on the same page. You know, your habits compound over time. Mm -hmm. and, and so they, they build up and you, are, you, know, you end up having health issues. You end up having marital issues. You end up having financial issues. Uh, you have broken relationships because you don't manage those relationships. You don't, you only... Uh, you know, reach out to people when you need them instead of, you know, for their birthdays, happy birthday calls, life event calls. Those are all rich habits. People 
who, who are successful in life, they have these relationship-rich habits that keep their relationships strong. My, my wife is pr probably the best um, one when it comes to relationships. She has, she's consistently reaching out to, to her very, very broad circle of, of relationships. And, you know, when she had a birthday over the weekend, she had a Zoom, there was like 50 people on it. They had to break it out into two Zoom meetings because there were so many people. So th these are all things that, uh, you know, you, these habits you, you have, either they make your life better or they make your life worse. And you know, it's pretty simple. So from a financial point of view, what are some of the, the, the more important rich habits? And also, did you it's hard to quantify if someone is a rich person all around, if that makes sense. I mean, you can have $50 million, but have a miserable life. Um, so were you able to in some way quantify, you know, somebody's quality of life with relationships and, every, and everywhere else? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I love to talk about Conor McGregor. You know who he is, right? He's the uh, Irish, right? So he's the U, U, UCF guy and he fought uh, that he had that boxing fight yeah. with mm -hmm. I can't remember the guy's name now, but anyway, he, he, the minute that he um, got his guaranteed payment, his $30 million guaranteed payment for that boxing match back in 2018, um, he spent $17 million of it on a yacht, right? Now in Ireland, if anybody knows anything about Ireland's taxes, they're very high. They're over 50% if you make a lot of money. So he literally had to, reach into his bank account to help him pay the tax on the $30 million guarantee that he got because he spent 17 million of it on a yacht. So there are people that it doesn't really matter how much money they make, they're gonna spend it all because they have a poverty mindset where they've never had money before. They're, they're, every time, Anytime they came into money, they spent it because they had stuff they had to spend it on. So they got into this habit of spending every dime that they made. Um, you know, Mike Tyson was the same, same had the same issue. Uh, so it's really what I've found, and it's in my new book, uh, Effortless Wealth, I have, there's, I think, 21 smart money habits that I uncovered. You see, there's, David, there's four paths to wealth. There's the saver investor path. There's the corporate or big company climber path. Uh, that's where you make a lot of money on stock compensation and incentives and stuff like that. Uh, and then there's the virtuoso path. This is kind of where you're an expert. You have a niche. You're one of the best. You might be Michael Jordan uh, of basketball or Tiger Woods of, of golf, or you might be the, you know, the best, an in vitro heart surgeon. I know somebody that does that, operates on uh, hearts uh, for did I lose you? You still there? I'm Good. Still here. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, I thought I lost you. Sorry. He actually will, while in the womb, he'll operate on a child's heart. So he's got this unique expertise. Well, there's people out there that are virtuosos that, uh, when they're virtuosos, they get paid the most money because they have the most knowledge or skills. And then there's the entrepreneur, the dreamers. Uh, those are people that uh, take a shot on a dream. They pursue something, and the entrepreneurial path is really the most financially rewarding path, but it is also the hardest path, stress-wise and, you know, the, the financial 
um, hurdles you have to overcome. Uh, so there's four paths. Well, the saver investor path is, I call it the guaranteed path to wealth because it really, as long as you're making a middle-class income, you can manage your standard of living so that you can save 20% or more of your income and then consistently and prudently invest that 20%. And over time, it takes the average uh, millionaire in who was uh, a saver investor in my study, it took them 32 years to accumulate about 3.3 million. So it does take time, uh, but it's guaranteed because you're forcing yourself to live off of 80% or less of your income. Sure. And that's a behavior, right? That's a habit. It's a habit. And it's, oh, I think it's one of the habits that requires teamwork because you have to have a spouse mm-hmm. who your significant other, your spouse who's on the same page as you and uh, does, you know, doesn't gamble, doesn't do drugs, uh, doesn't, isn't a spendthrift that it completely uh, buys into everything. And that's one of the reasons that you make such a good uh, partnership because you're all in it together. You're pulling the same cart. Where it goes south is, you know, when you have one spouse that's, that's one spouse that's frugal and the other spouse that isn't, and you're kind of pulling the cart in two different directions and it don't, goes nowhere. Uh, so uh, it's important to, I think one of the big rich habits, and I've written about this and I've gotten some criticism for it, is uh, actually uh, finding a spouse who shares your values and your habits. Uh, you know, I, I, the criticism I've gotten is, look, you know, you can't, you, you know, love is love. And uh, my argument is, you can fall in love with a thousand different people. You might as well fall in love with the right person. Uh, you know, it takes time to find the right person. But if you know, like David, if you know, I, I want to go to New York City from New Jersey. Well, how do I get there? Well, there's a map and there's, there's a GPS that might guide you. But if you don't have a game plan on how you're going to get to New York City, just like if you don't have a game plan in your marriage on how you're going to save and invest and accumulate wealth, you're gonna, you're not gonna go anywhere. So you have to. Everybody has to have the same blueprint that they're working from, in a marriage and uh, relationship, uh, and then it works. Then you, then you can, then you can save and you can invest and you can build multiple streams of income over time, and you can have ultimately a great life that was born initially out of sacrifice, uh, but then the sacrifice becomes less and less and less because you're. Uh, assets that you're building generate more and more and more income. Sure. Yeah. There's two things that work, right? There's people and there's money. And uh, the average person can only make so much money unless you are the Michael Jordans or the Tiger Woods. So even a good income could be spent, but you you get your money starting to work for you. You're you're looking looking really really good. So the yeah. average person who is saying, you know, I have this one consistent financial problem, and um, you know, I can't sit in Tom Corley's office and have a, almost a counseling session with him. How do they figure out what their one or two bad habits are? Or wh- how would you suggest uh, they, they rectify that situation? Yeah. So in my book, Rich Habits, I have this sort of process that you go through. Basically, uh, most people don't know what their habits are. They really don't. They might say, well, I brush my teeth every day and I take a shower every day. I get up at the same time every day. You know, they, they look at that and they say, well, that's a habit. And they're right. It's a habit. But there are other habits that you have that you're not aware of. And the only way to find out what they are 
is to track it for about three days. So what I recommend in my book is, look, take a pad of paper with you or, or a notebook uh, you can put in your po pocket. And every, for the first three days, three days in a row, just write down almost everything that you do on day one. Try, I mean, it's going to be an exhaustive list. But the interesting thing, David, is day two, when you write down the same things, and day three, when you write down the same things, you know, you write down what you do during the day, you're going to see that there were things that repeat every day, right? Those are habits. So now you boil it down from, let's say, 150 things that you did uh, in day one and 130 things you did in day two and 128 things you did in day three. Well, you're going to find out that there's about 50 things that you did in day one, that you did in day two, and that you did in day three. Those are habits. So now you put that on a schedule, an Excel worksheet, whatever you want to call it. And then you put a plus or minus next to each one of the habits. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then you, you actually build awareness, not only to the fact that you have specific habits, but that some of these habits are good and some of these habits are bad. And so you take the, my, my thing, my approach is focus on the ones that are bad. So if you have, let's say 10 negatives on your habit list, uh, then you focus on one of them, just one of them. And let's say it's, uh, you know, you, you don't exercise every day. That's a pretty easy one, right? Yeah, and then my, my approach to that is, look, um, you, that's, a, that's a, a keystone habit, meaning uh, if you embrace exercise, it's going to affect about five or six of your bad habits. It's going to eliminate them automatically. So you don't need to get rid of five or six bad habits. You just need to forge one good uh, keystone habit, like exercise. So now you you how do you do how do you do that when you have never exercised and you hate exercise, whatever? You take you start out with day one of five minutes. Maybe for the whole week you do five minutes of aerobics for the first week. The second week increase it to ten minutes. The third week maybe increase it to fifteen minutes. Why? Now you might say, well, no, five minutes isn't going to get me healthy. You're right, it's not. But what happens inside the brain is uh, when you are repeating something over and over every day, their new neurons are called into action and they start forming. And these cluster of neurons begin to communicate with each other. And after about two weeks, a very fragile synapse forms. Now that synapse is the synapse of you doing five or 10 minutes of exercise every day. Well, after about a month, uh, the basal ganglia, which it reside, it's, it's an area of the brain, it's sort of the habit manager and fuel efficiency manager of the brain. It, um, the, the prefrontal cortex will send a message to the basal ganglia, say, hey, have you been seeing this? There's a bunch of neurons that are, are firing over and over again, and that's your job. Uh, I want you to take a look and see what's going on there. So the basal ganglia has these long tentacles, these dendrites. It reaches up into the area where the uh, neurons, massive neurons are firing, and it monitors the, the activity for a little while. If that, the basal ganglia determines that those neurons are, are a habit, it's going to, that, that dendrite that went up in there is going to become permanent, and it's going to mark that, that area as a habit. And that's going to stay a habit for life. So what will happen is uh, in month two, 
when you start exercising, you're going to have the basal ganglia have, it may or may not have marked it as a habit. It takes, it takes anywhere from, it takes about uh, three months for a habit like exercise or reading every day to be, be noticed and, and designated as a habit by the basal ganglia. So, so, but one, here's the cool thing, David, once the basal ganglia marks it as a habit, it stays a habit for the rest of your life. Wow. And, and so you, so what you'll find out is, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go and exercise because it's a habit. And, um, you're going to, you're going to end up exercising instead of the five, 10 or 15 minutes, you're going to go and do 30 minutes. Your, your, your brain's not going to fight you on 30 minutes or the 50 minutes or the 60 minutes or whatever, because it's a habit and it's invested in the infrastructure. It's not fighting you on, on infrastructure that has already been created. The brain does fight on new, new infrastructure, new habits, because uh, it requires energy to form those habits. That's why it's so important to sort of sneak your way into a habit. You do it with the five minutes or the baby stepping approach. If you sneak your way in, the, the brain doesn't say, hey, we're trying to form a habit here. And it's, you know, this is requiring a lot of uh, glucose or ketones, which is the fuel source of the brain. And we don't like that. Because we, you know, we, we, the fuel is precious to the brain. So it doesn't like when any part of the brain is doing, using too much fuel. So it'll stop you in, in a habit if you jump into a habit. If you decide, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to fast. Like you want to lose weight. So I'm going to fast for three days in a row. Uh, that's not going to work. You're yeah. going to fast for three days in a row, maybe. But you'll never fast again. But if you engage in intermittent fast. That's doable. Yeah, that's doable. The brain's not going to fight you on that because Mm -hmm. the brain knows, hey, don't worry, we're going to get our fuel at 12 o'clock or one o'clock in the afternoon. So we're not going to put up a big fight. So go ahead, do your intermittent fasting. It's not a big deal. You know, the brain brain doesn't make make a start a war with you as it does on a lot of habits. It'll 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 launch an offensive against a habit that you jump into like you dive into. And it's a big habit. And I think one way to also start a habit uh, is to tell somebody. So I'm going to encourage anybody that has a baby step to email me, David at parallelfinancial.com and tell me what your baby step is just to get it out there. And it doesn't even have to be a financial one. It could be, Hey, I'm going to walk for five minutes a day. But when you tell someone, I think that's also a good first, uh, first step of a, of a habit as well. So, so tell me about your new book that's coming out when it's coming out and uh, let's hear some about that. Yeah. So it's supposed to be, I, I see it on Amazon now. It, it, it was supposed to be released uh, April 21st, so, but I think you can order it now. I'm pretty sure I checked last week. and uh, It's a really cool book because I try and, you know, if you read Rich Habits, you, you know what type of book that was. I try and tell stories. Sure. I, try, I want the reader to be entertained while I'm trying to educate them. So uh, I tell a story and I weave into the story the rich habits or the smart money habits that you need in order to, be, you know, accumulate the wealth that you want to accumulate. So uh, it's, I, I highlight about 21 smart money habits that I discovered the saver investors in my rich habits study had. Uh, so I try and get into detail on each one of those habits and, you know, the saving and, and so these work if you're making minimum wage or if you have $10 million, they're, they're the same habits or. Yeah. I, I think they're, they're really for the average Joe. Okay. They're for the average worker bee, the, the person that says, Hey, there's no way I want to climb the, the, you know, the company ladder. 
I don't want to deal with the politics uh, that big organizations have. And I don't have the money and I don't have the time to become a virtuoso. Sometimes it requires a PhD, medical degree. Maybe you have to go to school. Maybe you have to devote five years of your life and time is invested there. So to become expert, you know, some skill sets require a lot of, you know, five or six hours of practice every day. Um, so you just say, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do that. That's not for me. Uh, and I'm not going to take a risk and pursue a dream because uh, if I fail, you know, I could go bankrupt and I'm risk averse and I don't want to do that. And, I, and besides being an entrepreneur is, is there's an enormous amount of stress that you have to tolerate. So I, um, I'm lost. I guess I'll never be a millionaire, right? Wrong. There's the saver investor path. It's the guaranteed path to accumulating wealth. Now, I'm going to tell you straight out, if you're poor, I'm of 99% certain you're never going to be able to become a millionaire as a, as a saver investor. You really have to have enough of an income where you can manage your standard of living while, you know, in many cases, raising a family and save at the same time. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not just a, you know, a punt. You have to have a, a minimum amount of income to be able to do this. And what is that? It depends on the, you know, where you live. If you're living in South Dakota or North Dakota, uh, you might be able to get by on like 35, 40 or $50,000. But if you're living in New Jersey, you need 150,000 to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, New York's probably even a little bit higher. Uh, California for sure. It's the most expensive state in the union. You're going to need about 175,000. Oh yeah. Now here in South Carolina, a, a tenth of that, a tw uh, you know, you could have a reasonable lifestyle. So yeah, I, I do think that, but the principle, regardless of what the number is, the principles are the same depending on, on, on. Where yeah. I, and I think are. just as a takeaway for, for your listeners, um, just to give you an idea. So the way, the best way you're going to be able to save is if you could keep your housing costs, this is your mortgage or your rent, and your real estate taxes, if you have a mortgage, mortgage and real estate taxes or rent, if you can keep it to 25% uh, of your gross income, 25% or less. If you can do that, you're gonna be able to save something. If your uh, rent or your mortgage and your real estate taxes is you know, close to 30% or 35%, I'm almost certain you're not gonna be able to, uh, you know, unless you make a, a unless you live, you know, you make a boatload of money and you are living in a huge mansion. My point is that you have to manage your standard of living in such a way that your costs are for housing are about 25% of your income. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes it. It's interesting. We're looking at putting our house on the market. And I talked to just a lender in general and they said, you know, up to 50%, you could probably get a loan. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's too much. I mean, I could, that would just make things way too tight. So, so I appreciate that. And that's applicable to me. So, well, Tom, this is just absolutely fascinating. And um, I really enjoyed this because a lot of your philosophies and, and research is kind of in line with, with what I think of, you know, I'm responsible for me, you're responsible for you. And um, yeah, there are legislations that make things easier and harder sometimes, but ultimately, you know, your habits, you know, you, you have a lot of uh, control over. So I appreciate that. Uh, we'll put a link to your, to both books in the, um, in the show notes here. And um, like I said, this is just fascinating. Is there anything else you'd like to add just as some motivation to, uh, to our listeners? Yeah. So one of the things I probably get about 50 requests for my research summary a day. So what I did was I said, I, I don't want to be emailing 
initially I wanted it to be proprietary and not have it. I just put it on my website. So now you can at richhabits.net, you could go on there and um, you can download the, um, you know, the, the PDF on it. And this way everybody can kind of see what I've been talking about. What you and I have been talking about a picture is worth a thousand words, right, David? So when they see it, they'll understand how important this is. Absolutely. No, that's perfect. And I'm going to check that out myself and we'll put that, uh, put that in the show notes. Uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe once or twice a year, we could uh, have another conversation. It's just, this is fascinating stuff for me. Yeah, that we've scratched the surface. I have plenty of, of research and it's always increasing the, amount, the volume of the studies and data that I gather. So uh, yeah, I'll be more than happy. You just let me know when and, and we'll make it work. It's interesting. I did a podcast a few weeks ago on the basics during COVID, financial basics, and B was budget. So let's look back, you know, the stock market's going up and down and crazy stuff, but we can control our budgets. Uh, we can control our allocation. We control our systems, which are habits. We can control what types of insurance we have, and then we can control how much we use our money to care for the world. So in a lot of ways, you and I are talking about the same things. You just have a much more in-depth uh, in-depth uh, research. So uh, definitely, definitely great minds or maybe not so great minds or think alike. So who knows? So perfect. Well, awesome. Well, we'll catch up next time. And this was just an honor to speak with you. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Good deal. Bye-bye. So it was an honor for me to uh, speak with Tom Corley today. I love his work. I had read his book a few years ago, and it was just an excellent opportunity. Uh, one of the things that we talked about was baby steps. So email me, david at parallelfinancial.com, and tell me what one baby step that you want to begin in your life is. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial-related, but it could. Uh, it could be health-related, relationship-related. Who knows what? But uh, tell somebody. Tell me. And, uh, hey, that starts a little chain of, uh, of accountability. Uh, I'm going to include his contact information and access to his book and research on our show notes. And we certainly do hope that you are blessed between now and next episode and be safe.